0: Hello, my precious friends, and I'm so grateful to be able to open God's Word with you today. If you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. and Let me first of all ask the Lord to bless this time of teaching. Father, thank you so much for your Word and for giving us the opportunity to learn it, to understand it, to apply it because your Word is life to us. So would you bless this time and would you fill our minds and our hearts and my mouth with the word that you want us to grasp? Would you bless it and encourage our hearts with it and then let us take it and teach it to others? We're so grateful to know the Lord Jesus and to be able to proclaim this word in His name. And I'm so grateful again, amen. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in the beginning of the chapter last week we saw Paul uh, show us that the Corinthian Christians believed in Christ's resurrection or else they would not have been Christians. Belief in the resurrection of Christ is foundational to salvation. Affirmation of the reality of the resurrection was the basis is the basis for the rest of the teaching in this chapter. So Paul begins the chapter by proving, and I'm just so grateful that the Lord Jesus would prove to us, prove to the people that were living that day, that he had indeed arisen. So we saw him appear to all of these people. We saw that a lot can happen in three days. And so... uh, As we've discussed before, the Corinthians had some confusion that really came from the continuing influence of the pagan philosophies in which they were living. It surrounded them. It was their culture. And it was very difficult for them sometimes to separate what the new belief was, what the belief in Christ was, as it stood up against all of their pagan worship and their pagan philosophies and their thinking. The problem was not that they did not believe that Christ had arisen. They believed in Christ's resurrection. It was not uh, that. It was that they were confused about their own resurrection. And so Paul was not trying to convince them so much that Christ rose from the dead. Although he did us a great favor by beginning the chapter with that, the Holy Spirit was gracious to us by saying, look, these people saw this with their own eyes. We can prove it. It has been proven. And so the problem wasn't that they didn't believe that. It was that they didn't know they were saying, well, this can't happen to anybody else. They were saying the The resurrection is not true for anybody else. And so Paul is trying to show them that one day they too would be raised to eternal life. So in the first 11 verses, we saw those firm evidences of Jesus' resurrection, even though they already believed it. And then as he continues, he offers two main points of reason. First of all, he says, because Christ was raised, resurrection from the dead was obviously possible. You know know that he was raised from the dead and you have confirmed in your own heart that Christ was raised from the dead. So you know that that is possible, that resurrection is possible. But number two, unless people in general can be resurrected, unless resurrection is a reality, he's saying, then Christ could not have been raised. If resurrection is not so, then Christ could not have been raised. If Christ was raised, then resurrection is so. So the resurrection of people and the resurrection of Christ stand together. You cannot have one without the other. If there is no resurrection in the gospel, uh, then our gospel is as meaningless as any other religion that does not have a resurrection. So for our knowledge, let's first of all remember that the resurrection was taught in the Old Testament. Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 26 is that great passage where Job says, I know that my Redeemer liveth and he shall stand in the latter days upon the earth. And though worms destroy this body. Yet in my flesh, I shall see God. So Job didn't know a lot about it but he believed in the resurrection. Ezekiel chapter 37, the first 14 verses of that chapter, is the story of the Valley of Dry Bones. It's a fascinating chapter, and the vision pictures the restored nation of Israel, But with all scripture, there is one interpretation, but many applications. And so truly, it is about the restored nation of Israel, but it also suggests the bodily resurrection of God's people. You can go there and read and see where the dry bones came together and lived again. Then in Daniel chapter 12, the first two verses, um, he said, many who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. So the resurrection is definitely an Old Testament principle. The Old Testament about it was limited. It's incomplete, but it's nevertheless taught. It is there. The New Testament teaching about the resurrection is extensive. So where the Corinthians were concerned, remember that the Gospels were not yet written. They don't have a Bible. They don't have all of the text that we have uh, to go for us. They don't have the advantages of having the complete word of God. And so they did have Jesus life. His life was well known and the Corinthians would have learned Jesus teaching from Peter and from others. They were familiar with the teaching of the apostles. A lot of people in this day were still living who had seen the resurrection of Jesus. And so they would have heard, they knew that Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. That is John chapter six and verse 44. You remember to Martha, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. So it's very prominent. The foundation of the teaching of the apostles was that Christ rose from the dead and that all who believed in him would also be raised. Um, I'm going to turn for one second to Acts chapter four. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Acts chapter four, verses one and two. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So several years before Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he wrote to the Thessalonians. What did he say to the Thessalonians? Going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. He writes to the Thessalonians, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So there's all kinds of information here. And in spite of all the that the Corinthians had serious doubts about whether they themselves would be raised from the dead. So Paul very forcibly addresses these doubts. So back to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12, what does he say? Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's saying, if you know that Christ was raised from the dead, how can you say that there's no such thing as resurrection? So he just asked them that question. Then let's read verses 13 through 19. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, if there's not such a thing, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are Even found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed again God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise. In fact, if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, even Christ has not been raised. So He's challenging them with that contradiction among themselves. Christ has been raised, but there's no such thing as resurrection. Well, He's saying if there's no such thing as resurrection, Christ hasn't been raised. So He's trying to resolve that. He says, um, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. So he takes this approach of discussing what would be the result if there was no resurrection. And what he's saying is, if there was no resurrection, we don't have it any better than anybody else. Our gospel is no different from any other pagan religion. So the whole power and truth of Christianity rests on the victory of Christ in the resurrection. So he says, what would happen if there is no such thing as the resurrection? Number one, Christ would not be risen. Number two, preaching of the gospel would be meaningless. Uh, Number three, faith in Christ would be worthless. And number four, all witnesses to the resurrection and the preachers of the resurrection are liars. So he's saying it doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Now go back to verse 13 of chapter 15. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if the fact if in fact the dead are not raised. So what's he saying? If there is no resurrection, Christ was not raised. If the dead cannot rise, Christ did not rise. And so he's showing us beginning to make us think toward the fact that Jesus was fully human. He died as a human. And so without the resurrection, We don't have a gospel. Now let's take this a little bit further. Look in verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sin. So he's kind of saying the same thing over and over again. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men Most to be pitied. All men would still be in their sins if Christ had not been raised. Um, There would be no gospel to proclaim. All former believers would have perished and Christians would be pitiful. So he's emphasizing what would life be like if the resurrection were not so. So if Christ was not raised, believers would be no better off than unbelievers. Christians would have nothing to offer. Uh, We would still be in our sin and sin would have won if the resurrection were not true. There would be no victory because the wages of sin is death. Well, back up in verse three, he said, for I deliver to you as of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he goes on to explain all of the people that he appeared to. So let's get it that without the resurrection, we would have no savior without the resurrection. We would have no forgiveness. We would have no gospel. We would have no hope. So that's why this, 15th chapter of Corinthians is the great chapter in scripture about the resurrection. If Christ is still dead, he can't help us. And that is why Paul is emphasizing this. But the truth is what in verses three and four, God did raise Jesus from the dead. He absolutely did raise Jesus from the dead. Uh, Look at first, look, look at Romans chapter four, Romans chapter four. And verses 24 and 25, what does he say? Beginning in verse 23, Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Justification means to be set right with God. It means to be declared not guilty. So his resurrection brought about that possibility. Look at John chapter 14, John chapter 14 and verse 19. Jesus is speaking and he says, after a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me. Because I live, you shall live also. And then Acts chapter five and verse 30. Acts chapter five and verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Paul immediately then, back to 1 Corinthians 15, He immediately continues. He's given us all that foundation in the New Testament. And now look what he says then in 1 Corinthians 15 chapter, I'm sorry, verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And then he proceeds to show us the resurrection plan. And we're going to be looking at that some more, but I want to stop right here for just a minute. And I want us to understand what he's saying here in verse 20. For now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came death. The resurrection of the dead. What's he talking about? At the very moment of Christ's resurrection, Christ was the first fruits of all who would be raised in the future. The first fruits of all who would be raised. Now here's the picture. Before Israelites harvested their crops, they would carry a sample of the harvest to the priests. They would offer that as an offering to the Lord. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 23. The sample that they would take to the priest, the sample from the harvest that they would take to the priest was called the first fruits. The very first things they would pick, the very first things that they would get out of their gardens, whatever it was, they would take the very first first. You know how it is to wait for that first tomato or to wait for that first mess, we call it in the South of green beans. You pick those first ones and you can't wait to cook them. Uh-uh-uh-uh. The priest would take them, I'm sorry, the, the person would take them and offer them to the priest, the first ones, the first fruits as an offering to the Lord. So the sample was called the first fruits. The fall harvest could not be made until the first fruits were offered. In their religious rules, they couldn't have any of the rest of it until the first fruits were offered. So here we see, Paul tells us that Christ's own resurrection was the first or first fruits of the resurrection harvest that is to come. That's the picture. Christ is the first fruit, first fruits, of all of the other resurrections that are to follow. Believers in Christ who have died physically will be raised from the dead as Christ was raised. There will be a bodily resurrection of believers in Christ. So the first fruits of a harvest were like a a first installment or a down payment for the rest of the harvest. The fact that Christ was the first fruits indicates that more is coming. And that's what Paul is trying to make these Corinthians understand who were saying, well, yeah, you know, I believe, okay. Yeah. Christ was raised from the dead. Yeah. I believe that, but mm that's, there won't be any more of that. And Paul is trying to make them understand that doesn't make sense because Christ was the first fruit fruits. He was the first fruit of the resurrection. That means that there's more coming, that there are other resurrections to take place. The rest of the harvest is to follow. Christ's resurrection is the starting point, the down payment, the assurance that all other resurrection, the resurrection of all other believers is going to take place. This resurrection Is a permanent resurrection now let me let's talk about this for a few minutes both Old and New Testaments tell us about people who died and who were miraculously brought to life let's think of a few of them Uh, first Kings chapter 17 I'm going to turn there these are great stories um, not stories as in Fables, but true stories, nonfiction stories um, about things that are exciting. In First Kings chapter seventeen, um, we have the story of Elisha. I'm sorry, Elijah, the Tishbite, and he goes down in verse nine. He goes to Zarephath, to a widow's house to stay, and he goes there and um she tells him i don't have any bread i've only got a handful of flour in the bowl a little oil in the jar i'm gathering a few sticks so that i may go in and prepare for me and my son and we're going to eat it and die that's all there is and so elijah said don't fear do as you said but make me a little bread cake first first fruit okay you do this for me first and then bring it and afterward then you make one for yourself and your son and so he says for thus says the Lord God of Israel the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth this was during that time of horrible drought so she went and did according to the word of Elijah well As you read on down, she had a son and he became sick and his sickness was so severe that he died. And so the woman cries out to Elijah and, you know, and says, what have I to do with you? Oh, man of God, you've come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. There's that attitude of God is punishing me. God's doing something bad to me because my son has died. And Elijah said, give me your son. And he took him from her bosom, carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. And he called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought calamity on the widow with whom I'm staying by causing her son to die. And then he stretched himself upon the child three times, called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child returned to him and he revived. In the end, the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. That's another whole lesson. But God raised this child from the dead. Then in 2 Kings chapter 4, there's a similar one that I want to remind you of. 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, verse 34, this is in the life of Elisha. Um, Same thing, the mother of the lad had died. And um, I won't take the time to read all of this, but verse 32, when Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he, Elisha, entered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands and he stretched himself on him and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth and went up and stretched himself on him and the lad sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Go figure. God does some of the most interesting things. We will have lots of questions in heaven. But this child sneezed, was raised from the dead, and so then in chapter thirteen, there's the story of there of Second Kings, of a man who was a dead man who was cast in the grave of Elisha. Elisha's died in his grave, and whatever the circumstances were, they went along. And they had this dead man, and they threw him in Elisha's grave, and when they did that, when that dead body touched Elisha's bones. He was revived, came back up out of the grave. I bet that was kind of startling the people that threw him in there, don't you reckon? And so he was revived. He was raised from the dead. Go over to the to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter seven. A precious, precious story. Luke chapter seven and verse fifteen. This is the story of the widow of Nain. She was a widow and she had an only son and Jesus is walking across the countryside and he encounters this funeral procession. This woman's son has died and they're carrying the coffin to the gravesite. And he was, the scripture tells us the only son of his mother and she was already a widow. And scripture tells us that Jesus walked up to them, had compassion on her and raised her son from the dead. Get up, come out. So Jesus raised that young man from the dead. Um, Then in John chapter 11, you remember the raising of Lazarus who had been in the grave three days. Um, And Jesus said, what? Lazarus, come forth. And he did came wiggling out in his grave clothes. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Get get that stuff off of him and let him go on with his life. Exciting things. Mark uh, chapter five, uh, the daughter of Jairus. Scripture tells us she was 12 years old. Jairus was a synagogue official. And so um, he meets Jesus and he says, "Um, my child is very sick. Would you come and heal her? And before Jesus could get there, the child had died. And the group around Jairus said, there's no need for him to come now, she's already dead. And Jesus said, my child, he went with him. And I love it. Again, this is another whole lesson. Some translations say little girl arise. I think the literal translation is little lamb, get up. And he raised her from the dead. So these are exciting stories Old Testament and New Testament of God raising people from the dead, but all of these people had to die again. They all died again. Every one of them, all of them died again. Even those whom Jesus raised from the dead, Lazarus died again. The daughter of Jairus died again. Uh, And so eventually they all died again. Now back up. the resurrection of Christ. Christ himself was the first to be raised never to die again. Never to die again. He will never die again. Once and for all, one time he died, done with it. The victory was accomplished. Everything was conquered. Our sins were dealt with and Christ will never have to die again. That is the difference between being raised from the dead and resurrection. And Christ is the first fruits of resurrection. That means the next time when he raises these people from the dead, believers in Christ won't die again. Believers in Christ won't die again. When the phrase those who are asleep is used in the New Testament, it usually refers to those who have died. What is the body doing? It's lying there waiting for God to call the recomposition back together and to bring it out of the ground, out of the ocean, out of from wherever it is, to recreate that body into an imperishable body. Never to die again. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. So, when we're talking about these things, we're talking about the righteous dead, the righteous dead, or believers who have physically died. But when a believer physically dies, Paul says what? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when a believer dies, his spirit immediately is with the Lord. But the physical body, the leftovers, is sleeping, waiting for the call of God to raise it up. The remains are in the grave. That's why we call them remains, the body. The physical body is all that's left. Spirit is gone. The remains are in the grave, but spirits are with the Lord. I want you to think about that minute, a minute. Does that not give you hope? Does that not give you peace about loved ones and the Lord who have died? <clears throat> to know that they are in the presence of the Lord, waiting in the presence of Jesus, celebrating with the holy ones. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. The first fruits, the first fruits and the harvest are from the same crop. Think about that. We, and we'll talk about this more next week, but we are the same crop as Jesus if we are born again and are in him. So he is the first fruits of that crop that's going to be raised from the dead. Think about that. Think about it for yourself. Think about it for your loved ones. And think about the incredible victory that Christ has given to us by his death on the cross. And so next week we're going to look at Why in Adam all die? Why the first man, Adam, made everybody die? The second man, Christ, makes everybody alive. I hope you'll be reading and studying this chapter, thinking about and praying about that. But the most important question is, do you have that hope? Do you know? that you believe in the resurrection of Christ, that you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. When I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, that means that I'm confessing that He is Lord of my life, that I am letting Him control my life. I realize I'm a sinner, I can't control squat, but He can control everything. And I'm going to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God has raised Him from the dead and I'm going to be born again. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a savior. I know that Jesus is the only savior, and he is savior because he was raised from the dead by God the Father. And he has passed that on to all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Settle that in your mind and heart today, and I look forward to next week looking at, in Adam, all die. May God bless you. Call me if you need me. Amen.